Bid you welcome on this first Lord's Day to the house of God of a new year that God has graciously brought us into. And as we come together, it is for the public worship of the Lord, and we sing together 727. Standing at the portal of the opening year, words of comfort meet us hushing every fear, spoken through the silence by our Father's voice, tender, strong, and faithful, making us rejoice. Onward then, and fear not. <clears throat>
Let us read together our psalm for today. On this first Sabbath of the year, we come to Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Amen. As we come to pray, <clears throat> I was thinking about First Chronicles 29 and 5. As we begin the year together, it's not my motto text, but it is a text as we come to this day that we should think about the question that is asked here, who then is willing to consecrate a service this day unto the Lord? And this day is the beginning of a new year for us as far as the Lord's day is concerned and our services for Christ that will be held here all the way through. So we have lots of things happening today, of course. And then the incoming year, we think of the 12 months before us. And as David came to the end of his life, he's challenging his people in light of the fact that the house of God needed to be built, and we have a house that needs to be built. And that's the spiritual house uh, that's not made with hands. It's a gathering in of precious souls, and we're asking God's people who will give themselves afresh to the Lord today. That's consecration. Who then is willing? We would not be willing of ourselves, but God makes us willing. And if you're not willing, let's pray. Let's pray right now in our heart. Lord, make me willing. Do a work of the Spirit in my soul that will make me willing to consecrate my service this very day unto the Lord, the beginning of a new year. So let's seek the Lord in prayer, call upon His name. <coughs> Heavenly Father, in the worthy name of Jesus Christ, Thy dearly beloved Son and our Savior, we come again to Your house on this first Sabbath of another year that you brought us into. I want to acknowledge your mercies immediately. The Word of God reminds us that the Lord's mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. And as we think about that, we thank you for the mercies of God that have attended us last year, bringing us through every circumstance, good and ill. We can say the Lord has been our helper and by his mercy, he has brought us through. But Lord, we've entered a new year, and before us is the prospect of serving the Lord again. And we know that for many, even the world, it's a time of, of resolutions and promises that people like to make. And how much more for the Christian church, in a very real sense, as we see the year before us, we, as we start our service for the Lord this year, to hand ourselves over to the Lord to make this commitment in our heart to consecrate our lives to Thee. We say in the words of the hymn writer, Take my life and let it be 
consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. We think of all the service here in this church at Hebron, that by your mercy and grace we will embark upon from the children's work through to prayer meetings, to gospel preaching, worship services, outreach work, just whatever we do, Lord, we want to do it well. We want to do it for your glory. We want to do it successfully in the good sense that we were thinking about this morning already at the early season of prayer when Moses in the Psalm 90 at the end of that Psalm asked the Lord to establish the work of his hands. And Lord, we have hands to serve the Lord. And we will, by your grace, do that this year. But unless the Lord establishes that work, unless he comes and blesses what we do, then it will be in vain. Lord, we're praying from the beginning of this year that you will establish everything, that God will go before us and prepare the way and help us to work, help us to use our hands in that sense to do something for the Lord, whatever it is, at home and abroad. But Lord, we pray that you will take that work and use it for your glory and put your blessing upon it and make it a blessing to others where others are involved. And then we know that it will be established and a work that is lasting and glorifying to God will be done. We remember the, the sick of the church, the weak, the infirmed, the aged. We've been thinking about them already as we prayed this morning. Lord, we commit them into your hands. We pray especially for those that are in hospital that you will minister to them. Pray for Donald today, Donald Fleming. May your hand be upon him for good. Pray for our brother Ivan Melnick as well, that you will bring healing to his body. Remember Tilly Gibson, we commit her to thee. Uh, we pray for our sister Lorena over there in Romania. She continues to battle with disease, that the Lord will be gracious to her. Lord, all the others that are on the list that we remember every day, you know them. And Lord, we just hand ourselves over to the Lord for this day. We think of the Lord's table that will follow. What a blessed time this will be. We know it will be as we sit at the feet of the Lord and as we remember him in his sacrificial death upon the cross. Lord, make it a very precious time for your people. We pray for the prayer meetings later on with the office bearers and with the church and family night tonight. Pray for the minister's week of prayer. We pray for the missionary weekend. We pray for our own week of prayer also in this house that all these things at the beginning of the year will be owned of God and that you will bless every part of our Christian service and all that we do and use it for your glory. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 475, <clears throat> how true it is, I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see, yet one stands near to be my guide, he'll show the way to me, I know who holds the future, and he'll guide me with his hand. Let's sing these amazing truths, let's sing them to the Lord, and think about the words as we join together in worship.
We'll go through the announcements quickly for sake of time, but welcome in the Saviour's name on the first Lord's Day of the year to you, the congregation, and to those that are the extended congregation on the internet. Glad to have you. Immediately after this service, it is the Lord's table. And for those who know Christ as their Savior, walking with the Lord, this is for you. The Lord invites you to come. He commands you to come. He says this do in remembrance of me. In the will of the Lord, we will receive in some new members today. Very happy about that at the beginning of the year. There is a season of prayer for the office bearers at 5.30, and then the church prayer meeting at half past six. Family night is tonight, and it's also the dedication of baby David. We look forward to that, and we ask you to pray much for all these meetings today. Supper will be served, and ladies, please bring, if you can, half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. There's a meeting tonight in Coleraine Free Church at a quarter to nine. It's their youth rally, and Stephen Fletcher, we know who Stephen is, uh, he'll be speaking tonight and a hot supper is provided. The Minister's Week of Prayer gets underway this week, Monday to Friday, down in the city of Armagh. Pray for the ministers as they go there. Monday morning is the recommencement of the Hebron Tots, 10 o'clock in the morning. And if you are able to share what is there on our Facebook page, get it out to others and invite those with young children to come. The school's ministry this week will see our brother Greg in Gary Duff Scripture Union on Wednesday afternoon, and then we'll be going to Kilmoyle on Friday morning. Thursday is the midweek service at 8 o'clock, and the guest speaker is Pastor Emmanuel Vassile from Maranatha Baptist Church, Campina, Romania, and there will be special prayer for our youth ministry. <clears throat> Friday begins our missionary weekend <clears throat> at 8 o'clock. I hope to preach that night to those who come, and then supper will be provided. Ladies, you're to bring a loaf of sandwiches and two dozen buns, and then we'll make an announcement about Saturday night and the Lord's Day. Saturday night, the missionary meeting is at 7.30. Reverend Joshua Moffat from Bangor, one of our own, will be preaching that night, member of the mission board also. Then the prayer meeting on Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, we were encouraged to see extra ones at the prayer meeting this morning, and we encourage you to get out to prayer. Sunday school, 10.30, Bible class, quarter to 11. Um, all of grace is what Phil is dealing with, and he comes to Moses, a prince <clears throat> and a prophet. Mystery weekend continues, 12 noon, Reverend John Gray, member of mission board, minister of Tandragee, will be the preacher, and then in the evening at seven o'clock, the Reverend David Brown, minister of Larne, and member of the mission board. He'll be preaching God's word, bringing the missionary challenge. Supper will be served. And again, we're sharing this, asking our folks to invite others to come along. And over that weekend and the Saturday morning, don't forget the New Year Big Breakfast. That's this coming Saturday from 8.30 until 12, and the food will be fresh all morning. So Get out and support our Christian school, please. The Hebron week of prayer is tomorrow week, the 15th, through to the Friday night, each night at 8 o'clock. Set aside, <coughs> pardon me, all these nights if you can. 
And there's a Youth Council training day in Lisburn on Saturday the 20th of January, and that's from 9.30 to half past three. And the subjects are very important. This has been shared uh, with our young people, and uh, we encourage um, certainly our leaders and the young people and others to go along. There's an open day of prayer for Christian education for our Christian schools on the 27th of January, that's Saturday. And there are two sessions, morning and afternoon, with lunch in between. Can I announce the Hebron Ladies Fellowship so that you can get this into your diary? Wednesday, the 7th of February at 8 o'clock. And the Hebron Ladies will be singing. And retired missionary Margaret Russell, who served the Lord a lifetime in Kenya, will be the special speaker. <coughs> in the will of the Lord, everything coming together. Uh, our brother Samuel, who's been elected by this church to be an elder, will be ordained on Lord's Day the 11th of February at the evening service. We give you that so you can pray uh, for that meeting. Youth Council 50th anniversary rally on the 16th of February, and that will be at the Martyrs Memorial. Can I mention the flower rota for 2024? Uh, it's on the church notice board now. If you can help with any month, please put your name uh, in the space that is provided. There are also modern texts for 2024. Uh, cards are available today, and you'll get them at the door as you leave. Please remember the sick at the throne of grace, and we've been thinking about those in hospital especially. Remember the land of Ukraine and the land of Israel in the midst of war, that God will bring peace. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord now, and let's let the Bible speak and our missionary covenant support today. And as we give to the Lord, we're going to sing 617. All things are possible to him that can in Jesus' name believe. We'll keep our seats for the opening part.
By the grace of God, I want to preach on my mother text today, and this is a little card at the door that you'll be able to receive on the way out. Just telling the elders before coming into the service that there are times in God's work that are defining times, times when the Lord really visits. He visits with great power. We're always praying for that. We look to Him at any meeting to come, and we know that God works suddenly. Suddenly, He visits His temple in the Old Testament, and suddenly He visits His church. When the day of Pentecost came, it was a sudden move of the Spirit of God. We're always thinking about a meeting like this as we begin the year, we start together in our worship of God. We think of our motto text, and I'm praying that God will touch our hearts today. If the Lord makes this a defining moment and He speaks to everyone that's here, and I pray that He will, it'll make a vast difference to what will happen this year. But even if He only really speaks to 10 or 15 people in their heart, and they get a hold of His Word, and that Word lives, it's going to make some kind of impact in this church. But let's look to the Lord for His defining moments and for a, the power of God to visit with us today. We're opening our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and over the past number of days and weeks, we've been thinking about uh, this passage of Scripture, and we're going to read some verses again. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll begin at verse 26 and read to 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said, unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, saying, I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And we trust that God will bless the, the public reading of his word for his name's sake. We'll bow just for a moment, please, before God and look to Him. Heavenly Father, 
As we come to a text that we hope will be a blessing all the year through, we pray that you will bring our thoughts into subjection and bring our hearts into communion with God and let this be a time when the Holy Spirit will suddenly visit His church and move in our hearts and open those hearts of ours that are so hard at times to Your Word. Let the truth of the text that we seek to set before our people really grip our souls this day. Father, I pray for the power of God to attend the preaching. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me and endure me now with power from on high for Jesus' sake. Amen. And it is the words of verse 37 that I want to bring to your attention and leave with you as our motto text. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. There are a number of texts like this one given for our instruction and encouragement. We are brought to consider the greatness of God, divine omnipotence, His power over all things, both in matters physical and spiritual. Think of Genesis 18, verse 14. The question is asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that was the occasion when the angel and the Lord himself came and visited with Abraham and told Abraham, in his old age, Sarah's going to have a child. And of course, we go on to read about Sarah laughing at the idea as an old woman that she would have a child. But the question is asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? And it is a rhetorical question, because we know the answer, and the answer is obvious. No, nothing is impossible with him. We think of the words that we have in Jeremiah and the chapter 32. And there's two verses just to mark here, verse 17 and verse 27. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. The statement of the prophet, nothing too hard for God. And then later in the chapter in verse 27, the Lord is now speaking. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And of course, the answer is again, nothing is too hard for him. I think of words of encouragement in the gospel of Matthew and the chapter 17 and verse 20. Because of your unbelief, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. I hope that these truths are gripping your heart, this truth that is being expressed over and over again. Nothing is impossible with God. And two chapters later in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, and this is to do with the salvation of precious souls, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then we have those great declarations in God's Word 
that speak of God's power. First Chronicles, let me, let me run through these verses. You don't need to look them up. First Chronicles 29, verse 12. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Job chapter 42 and verse 2, where the patriarch says, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Psalm 62 verse 11. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. <coughs> Hebrews 7, 25, just one other verse here. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And this is the burden of my heart as we begin a new year and we seek to serve the Lord in 2024. I want us to see the greatness and the omnipotence of God, that nothing is too hard with Him, that all things are possible with Him. We need that confidence and assurance burning in our hearts as we commence this year in God's work. As a church, we need the truth of this text embedded into our hearts as we face the year ahead. And as families, with all the burdens that we carry, we need this same truth imprinted indelibly upon our minds and hearts. A motto text is something that needs to be thought about and prayed about well in advance. And I had been praying for a number of weeks as I thought about today, Lord, what am I to preach on the first Lord's Day of a new year? What is my motto text to be? And on Sunday the 17th of December, we read... From Luke chapter 1, at the early morning prayer meeting, it was a week before Christmas, and we pointed out something very interesting and challenging about Mary, Elizabeth, Zacharias, and Simeon that the Holy Spirit featured greatly in their lives. Daily light that morning had all been about the quickening power of the Spirit, and we emphasized in prayer the need of the Spirit. However, the phrase that really gripped my heart as we read the Word of God, is the one that we're taking for our text, verse 37 of Luke chapter 1. For with God nothing shall be impossible. The context of this verse was miraculous births. And a young woman who knew not a man, I'm referring to Mary, and in an old woman that was barren, and past childbearing, I refer to Elizabeth. And I know that morning I thought about the new birth, and we'll give some application later on to that. If the Lord can do that in a physical sense and work the miracle, He can certainly work the miracle when it comes to the new birth. But during prayer that morning, my mind was brought to think again about my mother text for 2024. And I was praying again in my heart, Lord, what will you have me to preach? The time was coming near 
indeed just three weeks away, when I would, by the grace of God, preach my motto text for the new year. And as I sat in contemplation in the early time of prayer, it seemed that the Lord was just saying in my heart, preach this one, this verse of Scripture, verse 37. And that's what I want to do. It is my earnest prayer that God will visit with us, that He will impress His Word upon our hearts, that He will give us a deep conviction that He is a God who is able to do all things, and that the Spirit of God would so write this text upon our hearts and engrave it upon our minds that we will not forget it so soon. I fear that in the majority of cases when we preach a text, it is forgotten very, very quickly. And I don't know if I was to ask you what did I preach last week, you may not even be able to tell me what I preached last week. And even when we give a motto text at the beginning of the year, maybe a week or two later, unless you're looking at it and, and studying it and keeping it before you, you may very well forget what the motto text is. But I'm praying that God will so impress this verse, this truth, upon our minds and hearts that we will not forget it all the year through. We're dealing here with the God of the impossibilities. Here's a text to give us confidence and courage this year. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever the burden, whatever the challenge, whatever trouble or trial you might encounter, whatever the impossible situation, let this glorious, unchangeable, reliable truth sink deeply into your heart. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. There are just two points that I want to leave with you as we think about the God of the impossibilities. The first point is the situation that was impossible. The age of the two women concerned is not given. But we know that one was very old and one was very young. Elizabeth is likely over 60 and maybe even into her 70s. Her exact age is not given, but the Bible does furnish us with the following information. If you go back earlier in the chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 7, we are told concerning this married couple that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. They were advanced in their days, is what this means. When the news was given to Zacharias by the angel from verse 13 onwards, the old priest wondered in amazement. Look at verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. The angel Gabriel is sent to Mary to inform her not only of the one that she would bear, but also about her cousin Elizabeth having a child, as you see in verse 36, in her old age. So we're dealing here with an impossibility something that is humanly impossible, something that could not happen. Elizabeth was old, well-stricken in years, 
and she had been barren all her life, and she was now past the age of childbearing. The other case is even more impossible. Mary was young and tender. Undoubtedly, she could have a baby, naturally, but her child was going to be born not knowing a man. And so the thought here, as we consider the angel's announcement, for with God nothing shall be impossible, is that both cases that we're dealing with is something that is impossible, way beyond the natural realm, that science, philosophy, medicine, or any kind of human intervention could not do. An old barren woman past her years of childbearing having a son and a virgin giving birth to a little boy without any kind of human involvement. And so written across the whole narrative are the words, the situation that was impossible. That got me to think about the impossible situations today. And I know that there are many, many applications here, but I want to consider just two matters that we are faced with today. One is regeneration, and the other is revival. Humanly speaking, these are things we cannot bring about ourselves. Think of regeneration. That's the, the new birth, the giving of life, spiritual life, eternal life to the sinner. No matter who it is, no matter what background a person comes from, religiously, morally, socially, or whatever, in every case, we are dealing with human impossibility. There is no way that life can be given to a soul that's dead, dead in trespasses and in sins, as the Scripture tells us. The preacher can't do it. We would love to do it, but we can't. The parent can't do it, and I know that godly parents want to see their children saved and brought to Christ and come to the experience of the new birth, but mothers and fathers just simply cannot do it. The Sunday school teacher can't do it. The soul winner can't do it. It is just impossible. All you need to do is to consider the, the biblical descriptions of a poor lost soul. Will you turn for a moment to Ephesians chapter 2? It's a wonderful chapter of testimony, beginning with what the Ephesians were before conversion and then goes on to tell us how they'd come to know the Lord and they were in Christ now and the change that had taken place. But just mark the opening three verses. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, you read these verses, and you will see that those without Christ, those who are still in their sin, they are dead, they are debased, they are diabolical, they are disobedient, they are debauched, they are doomed, and they are half damned. And if you consider verse 12, at that time, 
ye were without Christ. And the end of the verse, having no hope and without God in the world, we will say they are also destitute. If you're without Christ and you are without God, you are destitute in this world. Now, the depravity of the sinner is also well pictured in that famous text of Isaiah 1 and verse 6. And I'm sure you know it off by heart. From the sole of your foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And that's a picture of the depravity of the sinner. This is further, further illustrated in the book of Psalms, in the Psalm 14 and verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that do with good, no, not one. And then you think of, of Paul's declaration using these words and others in Romans chapter 3, just reminding us of what the sinner is. Think about the declaration that we have in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So even the best of humanity, with all their righteous, human righteous deeds, is filthiness in the sight of a holy, holy God. Jesus spoke about the religious Pharisees as being like unto whited sepulchers and full of dead men's bones. He preached on the fountain of evil that, that bursts forth from the hearts of sinful men, from within, Jesus said, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. The dark, dead, deplorable condition of natural man is also well defined in the picture of Ezekiel's valley of dry bones. And how often we, we look to that passage of Scripture to consider what it is to be without Christ, because here is a picture. As the hand of the Lord was upon me, says the prophet, carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. You know the impossibility that is presented here to the prophet, these dead bones. And you know the question that is posed to him that he could not really answer. Can these bones live? And of course, you could get down and begin to examine the bones, these bones that are so rotten, so old, so bleached in the sun, and so, so dry, so brittle. Can they live? And if you were to do a human examination, a scientific examination, of course you would say it's impossible. These bones could not live. But the prophet was wiser than that because he knew the power of God, and he said, Thou knowest, thou knowest, O Lord. 
Do you see that picture? It's a picture of what men are without Christ in their sin, just dry, dead bones. Is it not true that some sinners seem to be more impossible than others? More dead? More diabolical? The dead is dead, don't get me wrong, but some seem to be more dead, more diabolical, more disobedient, more doomed? Of course, they appear to be so. Sin in the world has, has carried them away into dark and depraved places. And Satan has a grip upon their lives, an unbreakable, impossible grasp. He has ruined their characters. He has debased their souls. He has driven them into the very depths of wickedness. And thus, we say the situation is impossible, more impossible than others. How could they ever be rescued? How could they ever be changed? How could they ever be converted from their dark ways? How could they ever be delivered from Satan's power? And we even despair at times, don't we? It's true. We look at them, and they're so far gone from God and so far into the world. We wonder in our hearts, Lord, is it possible that they could ever be retrieved and saved? But we will see in a moment or two. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The situation that was impossible, thinking about regeneration and the condition of sinners, they could never have life by anything that we can do. What about revival? The awakening of the church, the delivering of God's people from their coldness and worldliness and sinfulness. Oh, the church of Jesus Christ by and large, is dead. And if not dead, it is sleeping. The age of slumbering is here, brethren and sisters, as Jesus said it would be in Matthew 25, giving application to those days when he would come again. He talked about even the wise virgins. They all slumbered and slept, not just the foolish, but even the wise representing the true church of Jesus Christ. It was sleeping in that age that he mentioned, which is this age in which we're living. We look for the church and we see it in the world. We look for the world and we see it in the church. And Christianity nationally and even globally has lost its power, has lost its influence, has lost its effectiveness. And the church ought to be, if you think of that description in the Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. We ought to shine as the brightness of the firmament and as the stars forever and ever as we turn many to righteousness. That's the picture Daniel gives us in Daniel 12 and verse 3. Written across the church of Jesus Christ should be the word power. Because Jesus says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Acts 1 verse 8. It was said of the apostles in Acts 4 and verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. 
The fruit of the Spirit ought to be manifested in the lives of the redeemed as they burn a bright light for God in a dark world. Every day, we should be adding to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. Second Peter 1, 5-7. That's the way it ought to be. Alas, the light of the church and speaking about the wider church has almost gone out even in our beloved nation. The lukewarmness of the Laodicean church has invaded the church of Jesus Christ. You know, there are Christians and they couldn't care less about their testimony. You know what your testimony is? Part of your testimony is the day of conversion and when people get saved and give their testimony, they speak about the day when they came to Christ. Your testimony is what you're doing now, how you're living now. And there's some Christians, they couldn't care about their testimony or what the world thinks about them or how they're living, even if they're bringing shame and disgrace in the name of the Lord. And there's some Christians, and they couldn't care less about the souls of men that are perishing every day in their sin without God and without hope. And there are some Christians, and they, they couldn't care less about the abounding sin that we see all around us. And there's some Christians, and you know they couldn't care about the glory of God. You know, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Indeed, it is reckoned that the spirit of the Laodicean church will be most prevalent among church members in the last days. Know ye not, says Jesus, thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, Church members, says our Lord, feel as if they are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. You know, they have it made today. Christians have it made. They don't need the Lord so much. Is that the way you're living? I hope not. But there are Christians out there and they, they don't need the Lord anymore and they don't need a worship service on a Sabbath day. They can lie on their bed in the warmth of their blankets and the cold weather of the winter time, never give it a thought that they ought to be in the, at the worship of God or in the place where the worship of God takes place. And they don't care much about turning out twice on a Sabbath day. You know, you know, that, you know that's, for, that's for fanatics. They want to go to church twice on a Sunday. I don't know how a Christian thinks that way, but some do. And you know, there are Christians who don't need a prayer meeting. They don't need a prayer meeting. They wouldn't want to give up their time. Why would I give up my precious time to go to God's house, to go to the prayer meeting for an hour when I could be doing other things? I could be spending time with my friends. I could be dining out with family. I could be reading a good book or watching television or or gleaning through Facebook or whatever else that they do when prayer meetings are taking place. And as for reaching souls that are perishing in sin, going down to the fires of hell to burn for eternity, why should I do anything to deliver them and set them free from the bondage of the devil? And as for the problems that I have with other Christians, 
Why should I bother myself putting things right? I don't care what Jesus teaches. That's how serious it is, and that's how they think. I don't care what the Word of God teaches when it comes to my relationship with the body of Christ and the, the people of God. Why should I bother? If I've got something against a brother or a brother has something against me, why should I bother putting it right? I don't care about the Word of God and what the Bible teaches very clearly about my responsibility. And you know, I could go on and on and address the many ills that are in the church of Jesus Christ worldwide today, but I don't need to. Because we all sense the sickness which has infiltrated the body of Christ on earth. So I tell you, my friends, humanly speaking, it is an impossible situation. There is no hope for the church of Jesus Christ, the Laodicean sickness and lukewarmness, apart from the mighty Spirit. Where is our hope of survival save in thy life-giving breath? Now, there's other applications to this, this point of impossibility that I could address, but I haven't time. But just to say that there will be other difficult situations that you will face this year, and you will see no way out, you will see no way forward, you will see no way of deliverance whatsoever, and you'll have to learn the same unchangeable truth, for with God nothing shall be impossible. That brings me on to my second point, the sovereign that was infinite. And who is that sovereign? It's God Himself. The Lord would open the womb of Elizabeth in her old age. He would plant the seed of humanity in Mary's womb without the involvement of any man. God alone would work the miracle in both of these women because with God nothing shall be impossible. Never lose sight of the power of God, of the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Let us apply that to what I've been preaching today, regeneration and revival. The Lord is able to save them to the uttermost, all that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. They may be as dead as dead can be. They may, may be as debased and diabolical and disobedient and debauched and doomed and destitute as it is possible all sinners are. They may be as depraved as the picture that is given to us in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6, and they are. And they may be defined as sepulchers and full of dead men's bones, bursting from their hearts, might even be, as the Lord described it, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. They may be as impossible as Ezekiel's dry bones, but with God nothing shall be impossible. You better believe it. Oh, my dear child of God, you need to believe it. You must believe it. You will not find perhaps a more dead and depraved sinner in all the Old Testament Scriptures than King Manasseh. His name means forgetter, and he was a forgetter, forgetter of God, 
a forgetter of religion, of righteousness, of morality, of everything that was good and right. And you read about his history in 2 Kings chapter 21. Despite his godly upbringing, and he had a godly upbringing for his father was King Hezekiah, he drifted further and further away from God more than any other king, indeed any other person that we read about in the Bible. His testimony was, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen. And here's what the record tells us about him. He built up again the places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He reared up altars for Baal. He made a grove, as did King Ahab of Israel. He worshipped the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord. He built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house. And of his people, we are told Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did all the nations whom the Lord destroyed. And we go on to read that Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Evil upon evil, wickedness upon wickedness, sin upon sin, a dark, deep, depraved sinner indeed. But God humbled him. And his conversion story is recorded in Second Chronicles 33 because the Lord sent the terrible army of Assyria which took Manasseh among the thorns, bound him with fetters, and carried him into Babylon. And listen to the next sentence of the divine record. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem unto his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord, Jehovah, that he was God. I don't think that any of our loved ones or our friends have sunk so low into depravity and sin as this man. But even if they have, God can rescue them. God can deliver them. He can save them and humble them and bring them to the place of repentance and faith. Has your son drifted away from God into the world? Has the devil got a hold of his life and ruined it? With God, nothing shall be impossible. Has your daughter slidden into a dark, dirty place of foul sin and disobedience to God, even vile immorality. With God, nothing shall be impossible. If the Lord rescued, depraved Manasseh and saved the chief of sinners of the New Testament, he can intervene in the life of your dear one. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
And what of revival? In this Laodicean age, with cold-hearted, backslidden Christians all around, is there hope? Can we survive? Can the church of Jesus Christ burn brightly again in this nation of ours? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I want to bring you back 150 years ago to 1859. Consider the state of the church prior to the gracious outpouring of the Spirit and revival power. Spiritual life in Ulster was at a very low ebb. The Presbyterian Church reestablished and consolidated on the broad basis of Orthodox Christianity had a name to live but was dead. And this was true of other evangelical churches. The letter of orthodoxy had a killing effect. Deadness, formality, and indifference characterized the vast majority of church members. And these members, on the whole, were mere professors of Christianity. Professor John Edgar cited the testimony of three eminent ministers in regard to the spiritual state of their congregations before the awakening. Hitherto, said one of them, our condition was deplorable. The congregation seemed dead to God, formal, cold, prayerless, worldly, and stingy in religious things. Twice I tried a prayer meeting with my elders, but failed, for after the fifth or sixth night I was left alone. There seemed, said a second, great coldness and deadness. So deeply did I feel this that on the Sabbath preaching preceding the revival, I preached from Lamentations 5, verses 20 and 21, and I said that I had preached the gospel faithfully, earnestly, and plainly for 11 years, and yet it was not known to me that a single individual had been converted. The congregation said a third was in a most unsatisfactory state, in fact, altogether Laodicean. But there were men of prayer, faithful men, godly men, holy men, fervent men, and they believed, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Jeremiah, Manila, James McQuilkin, Robert Carlyle, and John Wallace, they began to pray. And that's the secret, always has been the secret for revival. They believed in the Holy Ghost. They believed in the power of God. They believed in a God of revival. And they believed with all their heart that nothing should be impossible with Him. The place chosen for the prayer meetings was the old schoolhouse near Kells, and the seasons of prayer began in September 1857. During the long winter of 1857-58, every Friday evening these young men gathered an armful of peat each. Taking their Bibles, they made their way to the old schoolhouse. There they read and meditated upon the Scriptures of truth. And with hearts aflame, with a pure first love, they poured out their prayers to the God of heaven. The peach made a fire in the schoolhouse grate and warmed their bodies from the winter's chill. But their prayers brought down the unquenchable fire 
from heaven, which set all Ulster ablaze and swept into the kingdom of God at least 100,000 souls. God can do it again. We need revival. Can he find a band of prayer warriors that will not cease to pray until revival comes? Will you and I dare to believe with God nothing shall be impossible? This, my friends, is the mother text for 2024, a text that I want you to set before your mind and your heart every day and believe it and pray over it and do something about it as you hand yourself over to the Lord by his grace and trust him to do the miracle and to work in our midst in a mighty way for his glory and for the good of his church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your precious word. We thank you for this text of Scripture. Challenging. We know it so well. We've read it many times, but nonetheless challenging. As we think of the impossible situations, and there are many, and as God's people sit in God's house today, Lord, for all we know, they're in an impossible situation. But our God is the God of the impossibility. And Lord, we thought of these two great things that are so important in the work of God worldwide, and that's the regeneration of sinners and the revival of God's people. Lord, we pray that you will move. We pray that you will save to the uttermost. And we pray that the believing people of God will be revived. Lord, revive my soul. I hand myself over to the Lord today for revival. Quicken me by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may that permeate out into the church, our elders, our deacons, our Sunday school teachers, our children's workers, our members, our adherents, our friends on the internet. Oh, gracious God, may your word grip our hearts. May this truth be ever set before us, and may we believe it with all of our hearts. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Hear this, our simple prayer, and answer for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together, revive thy work, O Lord. Thy mighty arm make bare, speak with a voice that wakes the dead, and make thy people hear. Time has gone quickly, so if you're not, if you're not staying for the Lord's table, as soon as we begin to sing, you can feel at liberty to, to leave the house of God today. And we'll sing a couple of these verses, whatever it takes to facilitate the congregation leaving. And then for the Lord's table, we sit every other row. Thank you. <laughs>